Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast, where we explore the exciting science behind heart rate variability. The material discussed in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Please check with your medical provider to make sure any suggestions or strategies are right for you. Visit us at the OptimalHRV.com website to learn more about the Optimal HRV app, download a free copy of Matt's book, Heart Rate Variability, and also get show notes and additional resources around heart rate variability and its applications. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am with Dr. Dave Hopper today. Dr. Dave, how are you doing, my friend? I am doing fantastic. <laughs> got a great workout in this morning and I'm just feeling amazing. <laughs> and we're talking about you're, you're, you're uh, on a little break from your uh, teaching. So it's almost Professor Dr. David Hopper. So I did so many, uh, you know, upfront things I got to cover nowadays, but congratulations <laughs> on that as well. well. Well, thank you. Yes, I'm uh, enjoying uh, my, my two and a half week break between uh, trimesters here and we're having some fun. Awesome. Well, I had to talk to you after last week's episode. And if this is your first episode with us, I really encourage you to go back a week and then come to this episode because Ina did uh, such a great job about talking about the relationship between oxygen and carbon dioxide. And as, as we were chatting before, really talked about once you get the air in the lungs, what the heck is going on? And Really, I, I thought just a fabulous job, and her book really set the stage. And then uh, she really helped to uh, um, really give additional information on that balance between oxygen, carbon dioxide, actually being something good for us that we need going into that pH. And today, I would love to supplement that conversation of getting that breath in and getting it out, and some of the real physiological aspects of that uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide mix. So I'm just going to, I'm going to throw you a general question right across the plate for you to hit out of the park, my friend. Um, when you're talking to people about healthy breathing, taking a healthy breath, taking a healthy exhale, uh, well, what are those key aspects uh, that you cover with folks? So this, this is one of my favorite topics. So I, I was very excited when you asked me to, to do this particular episode. Um, and even more so following up after Enos. Um, so, uh, so Matt, when somebody asked me about healthy breathing and what that's all about, um, the first thing that we have to assess is what we call their oral posture and their tongue posture and then their full body posture. And then, um, and then we're going to talk about how they're breathing and what they're using as their primary source of, of taking in that breath. Um, and then we get into some of those deeper things that you covered with, uh, with, you know, yesterday as well. Yeah. Um, but, but that is the first question that I would ask is I would say, Matt, where's your tongue in your mouth right now? As you're sitting here, is it I okay. roof of my mouth? <laughs> and, and I think you might have known the correct answer, <laughs> um, but but that's exactly what I want to know first is is where's your tongue? Where's that tongue posture at? Because um, if your tongue is in the middle of your mouth or if your tongue is on the floor of your mouth, um, then that is dragging your oral posture down, and that's causing your mouth to droop open. It's causing dysfunction in your temporal mandibular joint, your uh, you know your TMJ, um, and. And then it's going to drag your whole body out of alignment. It's going to make it harder for you to use uh, your diaphragm. And it's going to cause you to breathe more through the apices of your lungs or the top part of your lungs. Uh, so there, there's a lot that can happen as a result. So that's just with the tongue position. All Correct. that is with the tongue position. Just from your tongue being in the wrong position, uh, which is, it, yes, it, it truly is. Um, and, and that's why... You know, we, we have this palate shaped like so, mm -hmm. and your tongue is made to fit perfectly inside of that palate. So we want that tongue pressed inside of that palate. We want specifically the tip of your tongue just behind the top front teeth okay. on the gums there. So if, um, you know, and listeners, you can all do this as well. If you take the tip of your tongue and you go right behind your top front teeth, you should be able to feel some ridges in the gum line there. And those are called your palate rugae. And, uh, 
And that's where you want the tip of your tongue to be. And then the rest of your tongue should sit nicely up there. When you are not talking, drinking, eating, uh, it should always be there. That's where you want to find your tongue. And that sets up everything else for proper breathing, proper posture. Um, and of course the two play into each other, which is why, uh, which is why we talk about both interconnected. And I, I just, I, I got nerd out about this for a second with you, because I, I just find it fascinating, um, with my, uh, practice of Qigong and Tai Chi, that, that was a big, I, I, I think in the language and I don't claim to be an expert, more of a student practitioner, is that that how they talk about it in in that arena, especially Qigong, is that it connects the the cycle of the chi as it flows throughout the body, which you know I, I love studying ancient health and wellness. I think it's fascinating when you have thousands of years of tradition behind something. It astounds me when I'm talking to a modern healthcare practitioner who I respect greatly. And not necessarily of anything historically, but scientifically, that, that what you're finding really supports uh, what Chinese medicine was teaching us for the last three, 4,000 years, which I, I mean, makes sense in a lot of ways, but, but I, just, I, I just had to share that. It just blows my mind that that's where you start out is exactly where my first Qigong class, that was the first lesson we learned as well. You know, it is interesting how, um, how, you know, this ancient wisdom uh, has had it right uh, yeah. for, for thousands of years, as you say, you know, when you talk about, you know, in the martial arts, in, uh, you know, yogis, um, that type of stuff, they've, they've had it down. They knew the secrets. There just wasn't much of a scientific explanation, um, which, you know, it's, um, it's obviously doing something, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and now we have uh, we have a bit more science and understanding to to support some of that. So it's right. uh, it's really cool. But yeah. it's just great that thousands of years of research. Uh, maybe it's not peer reviewed. Maybe it was never written down. But you know, now now we've got the modern and the ancient, and you know, it just doesn't always lock up per step. But I just had to share that fascinating that did. Okay. So tongue at the roof of the mouth, uh, check on that one. Yes, uh, and actually something that's interesting uh, that I like to point out to people is, is it should make almost a suction if you have this proper. So the tongue is in the palate and you should have somewhat of a suction with that tongue in your mouth. So it feels like your tongue doesn't wanna drop after it's in the proper place. Mm -hmm. And then when you start breathing through your nose, which we are all, uh, as, as we're called obligate nose breathers, which means that, um, you know, we are supposed to be breathing through our nose primarily. Um, ideally that would be the only source with the exception of, uh, you know, large physical exertion. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but when you're there, if you put your tongue back where I said, and then you start breathing through your mouth, or I'm sorry, breathing through your nose, if you drop your jaw open, but keep your tongue there and you even try to breathe through your mouth, you can't, you've created a seal. And, and that's what we want. That's what we want you to have. We want you to have that seal and that little bit of suction there so that now you're forcing yourself to be a nose breather awesome. and you're always breathing through the nose. That is fascinating. Uh, yes. And that's a, that's how we are supposed to be. And there, and there's so many reasons why nasal breathing is, um, is important. And I can dive into that because this is a, a long list and a, a lot of yes. explaining. <laughs> Please do. Um, I'm fascinated by this science. Okay. So, uh, so my students and, uh, and for those of you listening, um, I, I teach uh, head and neck anatomy and physiology um, to, uh, in a doctorate program. So, uh, so my students are always like, you get so excited when we get to the nose and the oral cavity and all of that. And they're like, yeah, like I'm excited about all of it, but I, but what your nose does is simply amazing. So, uh, so it's really hard to not get excited about it. Um, so your nose is first and foremost, an amazing filter. Um, it, then it does, it does an amazing job with humidification, with temperature regulation, and then it also controls speed. So, um, so when you're taking in air, uh, one of the largest problems that people have is if you breathe through your mouth, air is coming in cold, it's coming in unfiltered, it's coming in unhumidified, 
And that is very irritating to all of the tissues in your mouth. It's very irritating to all the tissues in your throat. And that causes inflammation and swelling. And ironically, that makes it harder to breathe. And then, and then, you know, you have this cycle that just perpetuates. Uh, you, you're taking in this air, it's irritating, things start to swell up. So you start to open and breathe in harder through your mouth. Um, and, uh, and then of course, those are people who are also snoring at night, making weird sounds at night, uh, you know, leads to obstructive, obstructive sleep apnea, all of that type of stuff. Um, but when you're breathing in through your nose, your nose is so well lined with blood vessels. So it's, it's very rich in blood vessels, which of course is uh, why it bleeds so much too. Um, but when air is coming in, that exchange happens so fast that even if it's zero degrees outside, that, that air very quickly comes up to a temperature that is appropriate for your body. So that when it comes down into the lungs, again, it's going to be appropriate for oxygen exchange that, um, that air as well, even if it has 0% humid, uh, humidity outside, as it comes in through your nasal cavity, it is going to become nearly 100% saturated or nearly 100% humidity by the time it reaches your nasopharynx or the back of your throat. Um, and that is just simply amazing that in this little space, those things can happen. Yeah. And then the other thing is we have, uh, well, we have control of speed because of the, because of the small passage that it has to come through. And then, um, and then we also have filtration happening in our nose. So our nose is such an amazing filter. Um, we have, we have nasal turbinates, um, and several other structures that as that air comes in, it's going to bounce around. It's going to get spun. Um, and we have a constant treadmill of mucus, um, which sounds gross and it kind of is gross. Um, that is after all where boogers come from. Um, but we have a constant treadmill of mucus going on in our nasal cavity. And that's job is to trap those particles in the air. All sorts of particles are getting trapped in that. And then that mucus runs to the back of your throat, comes down, drops into the acid pit of your stomach. And we don't have to worry about it anymore. Hmm. Right. Um, now that filter can filter down to five microns. Uh, so we are talking very, very small particle size. Um, and that is so powerful. And we all own one right here. Uh, it's, it, it's just so, so fascinating. Um, and then of course, the other big benefit of breathing through your nose is nitric oxide. Um, we get, uh, we get a large boost of nitric oxide as we breathe in through our nose. Um, and, and nitric oxide is going to help with oxygen absorption. It's going to help with, um, with vasodilation and, um, and, and several other things. And I know Ina talked about that as well. Yeah. Um, and it's actually, uh, you know, when we talk about our, uh, our blood vessels, I don't know if Ina said this or not, but um, it is the amount of CO2 that actually stimulates nitric oxide for our uh, endothelial cells or, or uh, our, our blood vessels. Um, so, you know, if you don't, if you have low CO2, like Ina was talking about uh, from breathing improperly, you won't get, um, the full nitric oxide boost that you can get as well. Fascinating. So one of the things I've been interested in, I'd love to get, because I think we're moving maybe away from this. So before we do, I just kind of want to bring in the psychological perspective here, but, but I know that this is so tied to physiological perspective is you know, that there's been some attention paid. You got to look for it a little bit. It may be more in your field than it is in mine. Uh, about the the real negative cognitive effects even of mouth breathing and i and i think when you talk about inflammation and, and there's and i, I don't want to get into this too much but there's been a stereotype of a mouth breather being you know someone of lower intelligence and it's not an insult that got thrown around a lot at the playgrounds i was in or maybe there was just so much else about me you can make fun of his mouth breathing was so low on the list but 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 i'm really again something that was i'm not going to compare this to ancient chinese wisdom but like playground uh trash talk also seems to have some scientific validity around it and, and I, I just find it fascinating that this mouth breathing used to be kind of a put down maybe back in the 60s I, I don't know like I said I didn't grow up with that on our playgrounds but uh that, that there really seems and I think you may have mentioned it with inflammation 
and which has been a constant theme of your and I's conversations along the way. But I, I find that fascinating that we're, we're actually seeing uh, cognitive mental health impacts of non-nasal breathing. Well, well, absolutely. Um, and, and not just, um, and not just because of the inflammation that it's causing daytime, um, the, the danger from that actually comes into the sleep, um, and how it is affecting your sleep. Cause, um, cause somebody who is breathing through their mouth during the day is definitely doing it at night. Yeah. Um, and if you're breathing through your mouth at night, then you're not sleeping efficiently. Uh, we, we can tell you that flat out that you are somewhere on that scale of what we call sleep disordered breathing, which is, um, you know, uh, all the way from very little obstruction, very little, uh, very little problem all the way to, you know, full-blown, uh, severe obstructive sleep apnea. Um, and, uh, and at the bottom end for people who may have heard it, it's uh, upper airway resistance syndrome, um, is what that would be called down at the bottom end. But, um, anyway, uh, what we, um, uh, when we look at that, yeah, it's, it's the inflammation is of course it's going to be negative, but when you start to breathe that way while you're sleeping and it's not always the obvious, yeah, you know, uh, people breathing like that through their mouth. It's if you and I are just sitting here and my lips are just this far apart, but the air is coming in through my mouth or even partially through my mouth. Um, that is also cause for concern. That is also a problem. Uh, so we want to, we want to address that. We want to look into that. Um, but when you're, when you're sleep, starts to become impacted, then you are compounding those effects of inflammation uh, because sleep is our biggest anti-inflammatory process. Mm -hmm. So if you're not sleeping, you're not deflaming. And if you're not deflaming, then you're just stacking every day more and more. Um, and then we get to that where, yeah, you start to see some cognitive decline. You start to see uh, you know, some, some dysfunction happening. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. There's obviously uh, plenty of people out there who, uh, who are, you know, functioning at a high level in our mouth breathing. Um, there's exceptions to every rule. Uh, you have, uh, Michael Phelps, uh, the most, uh, decorated Olympian, right. Um, who's a mouth breather, uh, Fascinating. Uh, which, uh, which goes against everything that, uh, yeah. that, that makes sense. Um, but, but, you know, th there is an exception to every rule, but, um, <clears throat> But that is, that is what happens. You start to, you start to just compound those effects when you are, when you're doing this in your sleep and it's affecting your sleep. Um, that's where, that's where the real danger comes in. Great. So really quick, because that was such an important thing I wanted to get in there. Um, let's say somebody's like, holy bleep, I, I'm a, I'm a mouth breather in my sleep. What? I'm not, awake so i can't catch myself i can't do dr dave's tongue position because i'm asleep what 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 advice do you give folks who may recognize this about themselves but are asleep so they can't necessarily catch themselves and fix the problem so well one of the one of the most uh one of the best resources is ask your bed partner um ask your bed partner if you snore if you make noises if you move excessively in your sleep those kinds of things cuz those are all signs that uh likely there's an airway issue and, um, and that's, what's, you know, triggering some of this. Um, so always ask the bed partner first, uh, for help. Um, there's some apps that you can do some recordings with and whatnot, uh, as well. Um, and those are, you know, those definitely work. You'll, you'll hear if there's loud snoring, of course. Um, you also might notice if you sleepwalk with one of those, uh, <laughs> but, um, but what, I but what we're looking for with that is, um, it, it, and I'm sorry, Matt. I, I lost the uh, I lost the original question. In my explanation. So, there. so what what do we do if we are a mouth mm. breather? At yes. Night? How, how so, do we fix that problem? Since we freaked probably a few folks out. So, so what we want to do is simple things first. Uh, always try the easiest approach first, uh, and a lot of times the most simple thing is the correct answer. So, um, oral myofunctional therapy, um, and I'll say that one more time: oral myofunctional therapy. Um, so oral meaning mouth, myo meaning muscle, and then of course, um, a functional uh, therapy. So what we are doing with that is we're essentially doing rehabilitation for the mouth, uh, for the mouth, for the tongue, for the pharynx or the, or the throat rather. Um, so you can Google some exercises, some random exercises to do for this. And what that is, is you're stimulating those muscles during the day. And if you're stimulating those muscles during the day, 
and encouraging proper position. They're that much more likely to be in proper position at night. The second thing is you're increasing tone in those muscles. And if you're increasing tone, we're going to see a, de a decrease in inflammation. And again, when your everything goes inhibited at night because we're sleeping uh, and that's what happens naturally, um, then there's going to be less inhibition of those muscles holding a higher tone. So these are all great things. Um, so that's one easy thing that you can attack. Um, number two is look up some simple breathing exercises. Cause a lot of, a lot of times if you're breathing through your mouth, it's hard for people to breathe through their nose or impossible. And, uh, and that might be, you know, Hey, I have, uh, I have sinus issues, uh, you know, constant allergy stuff, uh, going on. And that's a lot of times can be fixed by forcing yourself to breathe through the nose, which is actually, it can be quite an uncomfortable exercise. Um, but trust me, you, you will not pass out or die, uh, do it in a seated <laughs> position if, uh, if needed. Um, but there is a, a program called Buteco breathing. Um, and again, this is something you can, you can search on YouTube for both of these. Um, you know, of course, if you have a therapist locally, please, uh, please find one. Um, cause that's going to be the best solution is looking for a Buteco breathing specialist, uh, or a, um, or an oral myofunctional therapist. And what either of those would do is help you identify the proper exercises to do the proper breathing technique for you uh, in your situation. But when you force yourself to breathe through your nose, um, what that does is because a lot of times people who have allergies, sinus congestion, that kind of stuff, um, they haven't breathed through their nose in so long that the tissue in their nose has actually begun to hypertrophy. So it becomes hard for them to mm. take that breath in. Interesting, and uh, and I'm sorry, hypertrophy is uh, is grow bigger. Yeah. Um, so um, so when you force yourself to breathe through your nose and start breathing through your nose with these exercises, uh, what it does is actually shrinks that tissue rather quickly. Um, and it's and it's really cool. I but the problem is it's really uncomfortable for like a minute or two. <laughs> um, so a lot of people have trouble with that, but. But if you get past that, then you got yourself into a nose breathing uh, track and that's where you want to be. Um, and then one more thing that you can do, especially at night, uh, like you said, when you're, uh, when you're sleeping, you don't know what's going on. Um, there's two things. One is mouth taping, um, which I, uh, for those of you listening who think that that might sound crazy, that is a, a totally legit thing. Uh, put a piece of tape over your mouth. Yeah, uh, I've heard it from many sources. It's not just Dave uh, taping your mouth up at night. It's uh, yeah, I've heard that from a lot of folks. Uh, I don't think I need to do it, but yeah, that, that was one that surprised me initially too. It, yeah, it's uh, it is it is one hundred percent legit. Um, very well, uh, very well shown uh, anecdotally, yeah. at least at, at this point. Um, but uh, excuse me, Matt. <coughs> um. So that is, uh, that's one thing that you can do. The other, if that kind of freaks you out, and by the way, um, now I believe there is actually uh, mouth taping tape specifically I, I've, I've that you can that, buy. Yeah. Um, but micro pore tape, which you can buy at any local uh, drugstore would have, uh, would be perfectly fine to use too. Awesome. Um, and the other thing is like uh, those sports headbands uh, that, uh, that uh, a lot of women wear to like hold their ponytails back or mm. something. Yeah. Um, as you can see, I don't quite have that problem, but, uh, <laughs> but you can use one of those and put it around your face this way to help hold your jaw shut, uh, throughout cool. the night too. So those are, uh, those are some easier things to do. Um, but you know, getting to the root cause of the problem is always the, uh, is always the best thing, uh, which is why, you know, reaching out and finding, um, you know, a, a therapist who can help you with some of that would be, would be the absolute best. Awesome. So, so quick question here. Uh, I just want to make sure we haven't missed anything. So we've documented a whole bunch in this podcast, the relationship between sleep quality and heart rate variability, any other things specifically with, and I'm not sure if there is anything here around this in, in HRV, I would imagine the more inflammation that you're experiencing has been a constant theme. The the impact and the lower potential heart rate variability. Anything else we're missing 
with with our nerdy conversations with ventral vagal or sympathetic or dorsal anything else just to make sure we we kind of uh we're not overlooking anything there well, I, I wish that I could say that I was aware of some research tying the two directly together. Um, I, unfortunately, uh, I am not familiar with anything, um, you know, tying mouth breathing directly to, uh, to HRV. Um, I haven't searched that um, either though. So there, there likely is. Um, and even if there isn't, we know that we have the correlates. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the more inflammation you have, the lower your HRV is going to be. The worse you're sleeping, the lower your HRV yeah. is going to be. Um, you know, so mouth breathing is going to, uh, only, only support, uh, you know, those things in a, in a, in a negative way, unfortunately. Awesome. So, um, so yeah, and, and you can easily test it on your, um, on yourself too, if you try out some of these things. So if you tried out mouth taping, for example, um, if you tried out some of the oral myofunctional therapy exercises, if you forced yourself to breathe through your nose for the day, um, of course, the first day you might notice that uh, your body actually struggles more um, until you start to get used to that pattern. But um, but what you will see is that uh, is that yeah, uh, HRV would probably respond in a very favorable way in those cases. Yeah. So very yeah. cool. So one one of the things you know, I, I got a little fascinated and, and went down some rabbit holes with with this concept. And one of the things that I think if it's comfortable for you, because I am not, I'm not, I'm not Doctor Dave. I'm I'm not a medical professional, but I found I, I just love to get any thoughts that you might have. Is that when I started I, I read some stuff on nose breathing during exercise because it has all these benefits and obviously I would assume if I'm jogging and when I say jogging it's probably fast walking for some folks I, I'm not going very quick when I do this by any stretch but I'm I'm assuming mouth breathing isn't optimal or healthy anytime and exercising it may be needed like so just to put that out there i don't want anybody to pass out from what i'm saying here but but i did find it interesting as i started to dig into this research as i started to pace my run versus on what i could maintain nasal breathing in it because i, I was thinking about buying one of those masks to limit oxygen because I kind of thought that would make me look like Bane from Batman, which I don't know why I thought that would be a good look as I was running down the street. But, you know, I've got a 13-year-old boy that lives inside of me. Um, so so I, was, I was seeing all this stuff on kind of oxygen restriction and training. I also realized I live in Denver and I sometimes run even at 10,000 feet. So probably could save some money there. But I just like, <laughs> I'd like to ask the question, Working out, sometimes if you're working out really hard, obviously you're not going to be able to nasal breathe. But, but any thoughts that you might have on nasal breathing when we can uh, during workout, maybe in, in, for, for some folks that are really active, maybe a active recovery day where I'm just going on a light jog or something like that. So I encourage nasal breathing during exercises until the point that you can't. Okay. Um, and, uh, and that's going to be different for everyone, obviously. Um, but, uh, but do it until the point that you, that you no longer can. Uh, and you'll be shocked how quickly that point comes. Um, cause even lifting weights, like I'll try to do that, um, in the morning when I'm, I'm doing my weightlifting routine and, and it's amazing how quickly, uh, you know, you do a, you do backpack superset and you're, yeah. <gasps> because <laughs> it, it does uh, it does happen very quickly where you feel starved uh starved for oxygen essentially um because you are consuming oxygen at a much more rapid pace when you are doing some form of exercise um so so the need the desire to uh to breathe deeper is going to be uh is going to uh, be driven much more uh, much more strongly than would be when you're just at rest um but it definitely try to, and I like the idea of, you know, you're, you're pasting your runs to where you can nasal breathe. Um, and, you know, depending on your goal, if your goal is just general wellness, um, you know, you're not trying to run a marathon or set any records. Um, absolutely try to do that. Uh, cause you'll find that it's actually a much harder workout. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. sure you found that too. And you don't have to go that fast. Yeah. Um, but and, yeah, and, no. and if you do it, I'll just throw, I'll throw a little caveat out there for folks 
there will be some snot um, initially. I'll just throw it out there. I'll be the gross one uh, with this. But it, it took me probably two weeks of doing that before it wasn't gross. Uh, I'll just I'll just <laughs> throw it out there. If you do this once and you're like, Matt is disgusting. What's Dr. Dave doing? Um, yeah, at least what I found, it took about a couple of weeks of, you know, three runs or so a week, so to speak, to, to then it sort of felt like, I don't know if this was the nitrous oxide or what it was, but then it almost felt like a little battery pack inside of me that, especially for distance running, because I'm not, a, I, I, I've never had speed. That, that is not my thing. But, but when I was running more kind of like half marathon rates, I rarely got tired. Like, like it was interesting. There was almost this little battery pack, which is totally unscientific. Uh, but my end of one was showing, like just gave me some energy to, to continue going at my uh, kind of turtle mat pace that I, I go at anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah, so your, your, your body's becoming used to the process. Um, yes. And, uh, and, and yeah, battery pack that's, I'm sure, uh, somewhere in the literature, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, no, it, it definitely is, it can be gross in the beginning, especially if you're exercising outside, um, and you have many other things to deal with. Um, but actually what I found to be very helpful with this, um, so as you know, and I'm sure everybody uh, listening and knows at this point too, um, I do jujitsu regularly. Um, so I wear a mouth guard when I do that. And, uh, and your mouth guard is fit to suction to your top teeth very nicely. And, um, and what I found with my mouth guard, and I'm probably one of the few people who thinks this way, but is that my mouth guard suction helps hold my tongue in place. Um, Interesting. so even when I'm doing jujitsu, which is very physically uh, demanding and challenging, um, I breathe through my nose almost primarily the whole time until we get to a, a rest. And then I find myself, you know, um, off to the side, you know, breathing through my mouth and I'm, and I always reflect back and I'm like, I don't think I breathe through my mouth at all. Um, <laughs> well, I'm actually going because you're, you're, yeah. you know, clenching your jaw, uh, pretty much the entire time. Um, so I find that very helpful. Um, and you can just get like, you know, a $10 boil and bite mouth guard. And, yeah. uh, and if you form it right and you do the, you know, suction it back as you're, um, as you're fitting it, um, that can be a very effective thing. And if you're not, if you know, if you don't care about going running with a mouth guard in, uh, <laughs> Hey, it's safer. Um, hey, there you go. <laughs> um, and actually if you lift weights with the mouth guard and you'll actually be stronger, um, fun fact. Um, so, uh, so those two, wait a minute, wait a minute. you just can't throw that out there without, well, say that again, that, that was just like a nugget that I barely caught myself. Uh, yeah, no, if you, uh, so if you, well, do right. Uh, so if you, if you weightlift, um, and actually a lot of power lifters will, uh, have special mouth guards, uh, for power lifting. Huh. Um, and, and it's for this because when you clench your jaw together, um, if you have something between that to bite on, you'll of course be able to clench harder. Um, and uh, therefore it, uh, helps your power output in some way. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I can tell you from, uh, you know, from doing the sports that I do forever, I, you know, I feel way more confident, way stronger when I have a mouth guard in versus when yeah. I don't. Um, and part of that is of course mental. Um, but, uh, but with the weightlifting thing, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's very real for the power lifters. So fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about anything um, that potentially can help nasal breathing. I, I mean, I think the the one question I have, um, which which may lead to some more, is like I, I find because in my morning mindfulness breathing practice, uh, all nasal breathing. Um, one of the things that I've really found helps with that practice is like neti potting in the morning. So I wonder if there is anything. Now that we know we should be breathing through our nose whenever possible, is there anything that, yeah, I, I don't know if you're a neti potting fan or not, but any other things that we can do for nasal health since you've now got, got it on all of our radar that this is really a crucial part of our overall health and wellness? 
um, anything like that, that, that you, uh, that you pay attention to? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so as you said, first thing in the morning, uh, rinsing out is huge. So, um, so we have all these sinuses in our heads, um, and they all drain into our nose, uh, as does our tear ducts. And, um, and all of this gunk is winding up inside of our nose, which of course is why, you know, um, we feel like we have to blow our nose constantly, you know, and that's, uh, that's where we're getting all of our boogers from and whatnot. However, the largest sinus in our head, um, our maxillary sinus, which sits right here, so right underneath your eyeballs, um, that one does not drain when we are in a vertical position, hmm. um, which is also why it gets infected so much. Um, so when you lay down into a horizontal position, such as, uh, such as going to sleep, now that largest sinus, that maxillary sinus can actually drain and it drains into our nose, of course. And uh, keep myself lubricated here, I'm uh, <laughs> getting dry. Um, but uh, anyway, so as that starts to drain, um, that's why a lot of times in the morning, you feel like your nose is so plugged up. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons that why when you lay down at night, um, you know, that post-nasal drip gets so much worse. Yeah. Your cough starts to get bad at night. Um, and that is also why sleeping at an angle when you have a uh, cold or something um, helps so much because because uh, that sinus isn't draining. Uh, so, you know, it's a good and bad, right? Um, but anyway, um, like you were saying, Matt, first thing in the morning, blowing your nose really well is very important. Get all that gunk out so that your nose can function properly. Um, I really like the neti pot as well. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with what a neti pot is, um, it's a specially designed pot that fits into, uh, that has a spout that fits into your nostril. Um, and you're going to lean over the sink and you're just essentially going to flush out your nose, um, as well as a little bit with the sinuses, um, while you do this and, uh, and you might get some boogers and whatnot coming out. And watch what comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it is, you've it never is done it you will be amazed at uh and i just so no use distilled uh water with that uh i've heard there's especially in the south some flesh-eating bacteria that has killed <laughs> some people brain-eating bacteria so uh just to always make sure you boil that water uh or get distilled water so just to just to put that out there <laughs> yes absolutely um don't get the brain eating bacteria because of the heart rate variability podcast. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and if you have that in your water, uh, maybe don't drink that water. Either. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but, um, there is, uh, you can get like, they have packets with, um, with magnesium, with silver, um, and that kind of stuff too, that you can get as well. Um, water works absolutely fine. Um, but you know, if you want the added benefit of some antibacterial, um, stuff you can do uh you can do some silver water as well um that's great um but um the other thing that you can do is you can keep that mucus and those boogers very thin and watery and how you can do that is by hydrating yourself all day mm. um and i know that we've talked about hydration several times on this podcast i know um matt you and i have talked about our morning routine with drinking water um but that's one of the most important things that you can do uh, for overall health uh, as well, aside from breathing properly and sleeping enough, uh, is hydrating enough. Um, and that is, you know, whatever your weight is, take that divided in half. So I weigh 200 pounds. So I need to drink at least a hundred ounces of water every day. Um, and fortunately for me, that's a very easy math problem, right? Uh, but I, but, um, what you, so that's your, that's your minimum goal every day, as far as your water intake. Um, so what I do first thing in the morning, when I wake up is I'll usually slam around 32 ounces of water first thing in the morning. Um, sometimes I only get one pint down. Um, but I always, I always go for a big, a big gulp, uh, first thing in the morning, get things going. Um, and that keeps mucus thin. And if you keep that going throughout the day, um, that keeps that mucus more thin. Uh, and then it's going to move through your nose a bit faster as well. It's not going to get caught up in there and clogged up in there either. So uh, that's a, another easy strategy. Awesome. So I've been fascinated. I'm not sure if you've heard this. I'm not sure if this is a sort of 
brain nerd wise tale, but there, there's, you know, something about like the left nostril being connected more to the sympathetic nervous system or the parasympathetic and the right nostril, the sympathetic. Have you seen any of that? research i've heard if you wake up at night to breathe through your left nostril will help you fall back asleep i had to ask somebody with doctor in their title about some of this stuff i've i've been seeing so i i am not familiar with that okay um, actually i would I'd be very interested to see that because uh, you know as far as i am aware um as far as innervation goes uh everything is, is pretty darn even side to side when we talk about uh, our nose, but, um, you know, I'm, we, we learn new things every day about our body. So it's, so it's perfectly possible that, um, that there is something, uh, that has developed and I just didn't see it yet. Um, so, so please, if you have something, send that my way, I'd be very interested, but, um, in terms of breathing through one side versus the other, um, all day long, we are cycling side yeah. to side through which nostril we are primarily breathing through. Um, and actually, Matt, I think uh, in uh, uh, where were we, Texas? <laughs> we, yeah. You and I were talking about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that is that all day long. Uh, it's about thirty to ninety minutes or something, uh, something along those lines, uh, that you will breathe in. Uh, you will breathe in primarily through, say, your right nostril. And then that cycle will end and then you'll breathe primarily through your left nostril. And that goes on all day long. Um, so it's not that both nostrils are always on. Right. It's uh, it, you have one that is primarily functioning. In it, have you seen also, th- these are just my uh, personal questions here to kind of wrap us up. But, yeah. you know, I, I know there's a, um, a practice I utilize uh, because somebody told me to do it and I thought that person was smart. So I did it. But like alternating nostril breathing um any benefit do you see do you practice that at all there's some fancy name for it that if i try to pronounce it i will uh do disrespect to a language uh and i try to avoid that because i butcher english enough um that i don't want to butcher any other languages uh but but any any do you practice that do you see any benefit in doing uh that sort of work you know what uh i I don't personally practice it um, daily. However, when I take yoga classes, um, <clears throat> I often go to the same place, um, and the one instructor is very adamant about doing alternate. Um, and I really do enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but I but I couldn't speak to exactly uh, the power of what it is doing. Um, I'm sure it is stimulating your brain in in one way or another. Uh, but but I couldn't speak to exactly what that method is. Uh, but, but I do like it. Uh, yeah, and- the, the, best, the, the best description or the best, and this is not my expertise. So the, the nerds out there like us, don't rake me over the fire. But if you got information, send it to us because we would both be interested in it. Is, you know, a lot of times we talk about the bilateral stimulation of, you know, we've, we've done, you know, in mental health, we've done a lot of about tapping on, you know, and I'm crossing my arms and tapping my shoulders or, you know, when you go over the right left brain barrier, it, it's a better way to activate your brain. So the best definition I've heard, and I haven't seen hardcore research on this, is that when you alternate left, right, it, it's getting like if you do that during a yoga practice or mindfulness, the restorative the restful, the ventral vagal activation you get through that practice is exacerbated because you're getting those bilateral. I've, I've done it enough now where I don't have to hold it, which I'm pretty proud of. I just was hoping you'd tell me I was actually doing something that was worth uh, thousands of hours of practice to get there. <laughs> that's a that's really awesome. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to how do you it takes work it'll take it took me a lot of holding before i could just do it so uh yeah yeah i don't not quite ten thousand hours but uh, it took a little bit of practice so i i wanted just to give you the space now that i got my nerdy questions out of the way um any other uh things when um obviously we're going to follow the healthy breathing in in later episodes but any other thing with nasal breathing uh, that, that we haven't covered that, that you would like to, to throw out there? 
Um, you know, what, uh, something that I find interesting, because um, a lot of people who are, who breathe through their mouth don't realize it, um, is start to think outside the box. Um, cause it's not always so obvious again. Um, you know, it's not always the jaw hanging open, but there's, there's little clues. Um, so if you're somebody who gets headaches a lot, uh, for example, um, and you know, their headaches that started at the base of your skull, they come over to, uh, you know, above your eyes. Um, that's a lot of times because you're sitting like this. And the uh-huh. reason why a lot of people are sitting like this is not just because we're working on computers all day. Um, although of course nowadays that is part of it. Um, but a lot of times that's because, uh, you're not getting sufficient air in. So a lot of times we go into this cranial cervical extension and we push our jaws forward to open up our airway. And that is going to help us get air into, um, into our, into our body. And, uh, so there's little things like that. And of course that causes headaches, that causes neck problems, that causes jaw problems. So if you have neck problems, uh, which by the way, fun fact, I neck problems and jaw problems are about a hundred percent connected. Um, if you have dysfunction in your cervical spine, you have dysfunction in your jaw and vice versa, um, almost always goes together. Um, so, so those are, uh, you know, another thing too, to look at. And again, what is the source of that? Well, why would you have a TMJ problem or a jaw problem, which is very common. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times that's because your tongue isn't sitting in proper position. And if your tongue isn't sitting in proper position, the muscles around your jaw that support your jaw are, are not in a truly rested position. Um, and this is going to cause dysfunction of that joint. Um, it's going to cause more work because that jaw is hanging open a bit. Um, so, you know, all, all these little things, these little clues um, that, uh, that can really be a big deal. Um, and, uh, and one final thing too, um, that's, you know, kind of a, a hot button topic is, uh, is tongue and lip ties as well. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't realize how prevalent these are. Um, but for example, if you were not breastfed, ask your mom, why? If you are a mom and you were unable to breastfeed your child, why is that? Um, and a lot of times it comes back to that you weren't able to, or it was very painful. Um, and either of those would equate to a tongue or lip tie being, uh, being one of the most common reasons why not. Um, can, you, can you define those terms? I'm, not, I'm yes. not familiar with that. That's new to me. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so you have a friendly one. Uh, we well, have several, uh, but uh, but essentially pieces of skin that are going to hold your, uh, that's going to hold your lip uh, to your upper gums. And there's several spots throughout your cheek. And then same with your lower lip and then your tongue. Uh, of course, yeah, okay. you know, we, we all know what that is. Uh, you know, when you lift up your tongue, you can see that down yeah. the middle. So if those are excessively short or excessively tight, uh, that fascial tissue, um, then that can cause problems with breastfeeding. It can cause problems with, bre- uh, with breathing in general as well. Uh, because you physically can't get your tongue to the proper spot. So you can't lift your tongue to the roof of your mouth. And therefore it's, it's impossible for you to breathe properly. Um, So that is something that needs to be resolved. Either uh, there is some fascial techniques that can actually resolve that. uh, But a lot of times um, a a surgical technique is needed. And that is something that do not just go to any ENT or any dentist to have done. Um, There's people who specialize in that and that is who you need to go to. Otherwise it will retie and, um, and nobody wants to get that done twice. No, um, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I didn't so, even know uh, what it was and I, I hope, I, yeah, I don't think I need it, but nope. Wouldn't want to do that with that tongue twice. Yeah. No. And, um, and then the other thing would be, uh, the importance of, uh, of breastfeeding as well. Um, that helps form your airway. Um, those first few months, uh, first six months, especially is especially what research supports, um, the first six months, if you are primarily breastfed, um, the impact that that has, uh, it's so many areas of development. It's, it's unbelievable, but, um, but for airway, uh, mouth development, uh, proper palatal development is humongous. Um, you know, so, uh, so if that is a possibility for you, uh, you are able to do that. Um, you know, uh, definitely give your, 
give your child that gift because um, that's a that's an amazing thing you uh, you set up their airway to uh, to function properly for the rest of their life. Very cool. Well, I, I bet we have another episode in us about healthy breathing, but I, I just got. I, I just didn't want to rush the nasal piece of this because it's so fascinating. So let me try to put the two episodes together and just make sure that I am on the right track. So, you know, with this episode, I'm going to start here and then go back with, with Dina's episode. Really, that, that nasal breathing just is goodness. It's uh, nourishing with that nasal breathing. You're not going to get the same nourishment. In fact, some detrimental effects. Uh, with mouth breathing. So the nasal breathing, but it also sounds like nasal breathing really in many ways that we still want to might focus a little bit on a longer exhale. It almost sets up that oxygen carbon dioxide exchange, which we learned last time connects to pH levels and everything else. Am I being a fairly good student of, of you and Ina and putting those uh, two pieces together there? Absolutely, Mr. Bennett. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Professor Dave gave me at least an A minus, and I'll take it. So, uh, Dr. Dave, this has been fascinating. I, I think, you know, a lot of this we can get in the nervous system, we can get kind of lost in things that may not seem like we have a whole heck of a lot of control over. What, what I love about uh, the, the, the last couple episodes is looking at little things, uh, rates of inhale, exhale, let's dispel. Uh, some of the myths out there about we need to take deep breaths in when we're stressed out. Also, looking at ancient Chinese wisdom and uh, trash talking on the playground. Um, so some of that wisdom as well uh, uh, is, is really fascinating stuff. So, so I want to thank you for your time. I, I think we might have another episode with breathing left in us, uh, you know, because we haven't even talked about the exhale yet from the physiological perspective. So I know I have at least five or six more questions for you with this. So we'll, we'll try to get another episode here, but Dr. Dave, uh, thanks for sharing your expertise and I can't wait to continue this conversation. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And, and we didn't even talk about the diaphragm, which is your your biggest muscle for a breathing. I know. So, I like yeah, said, uh, five or six more <laughs> we, questions. We, so, we got a uh, lot more to go. <laughs> and we, we basically went an hour on this one. So uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, again, you can find uh, show notes, uh, videos, a lot of everything else at OptimalHRV.com. Love to hear any feedback you might have. I just want to thank everybody for listening. Dr. Dave, thanks so much for your time. Thank you.